0: The story is told about a sheep and pig farmer who kept his sheep and pigs actually together. They got along well. And one day, one particular pig and one particular sheep, they were out roaming around together, and they noticed that there was a loose rail in the fence. And together, they pushed up against it, and they're able to push it away and to scurry underneath, and off they went. In fact, it was a while before the farmer realized that they were gone, and, and he began to search for them. Well, they had a really big lead. He searched all day. He couldn't find them. When night came, he went back, and he went to sleep, got up early the next morning, and he began to look again, and it came to that afternoon when suddenly he heard the sheep crying out. It was crying and it was squealing. I don't know, do, do sheep squeal? This one did, okay. And it was crying out and, and they had fallen, the pig and the sheep had fallen into a bog and they were sinking in the mud. The sheep understood that its life was in peril. And so it was crying out, for help, it realized that there was nothing it could do to escape this this problem, this predicament, that it was sinking in the mud of the bog. The pig was very self-reliant, and it kept thinking, I can get out of this on my own, and it kept fighting. The more it fought, the deeper it sank until it was completely covered by the mud. The farmer, hearing the crying of the sheep, the bleeding of the sheep, came and rescued the sheep and brought it back to its pen where it was safe and cleaned it up so it was white as snow. Friends, as you think about that this morning, I want to begin with this question. Are you the sheep or are you the pig? Are you the sheep that understands its predicament when it comes to sin and the impact that sin has on your life? Are you the sheep that understands that situation and understands that there's no way that you can get out of it on your own so you are willing to cry out to God for help? Or are you more like the pig, self-reliant? I can deal with this on my own. I can get out of this situation on my own. And you refuse to rely on God. You refuse to cry out to God. This morning, we're continuing our series looking at the Apostles' Creed, as Danny mentioned. And we began by looking at the nature of God, as the Creed looks at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then the last few weeks, as we followed through the Creed, we looked at the church and the significance of the church and what it means to be the church. And now in the Creed, it makes a shift. And it's shifting to look at you and me. It's looking at the impact that a life with Christ has on our lives. The difference that it makes for us. If you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, it was written over 1,600 years ago. And it was written over a couple hundred year span of time. It was used to train new Christians in what matters in faith. And so what we're, we've been doing in this series, going line by line in the Apostles' Creed, showing the biblical underpinnings of this great statement of faith, and also asking the question, what difference does it make? Well, this morning, what we're going to see is, look at is this statement. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. I believe... In the forgiveness of sin. And so I want to ask you a second question as we begin this morning. And that is simply this. Do you believe that by faith in Jesus Christ, that the blood of Jesus covers all of your sin? Do you really believe that at the core of who you are? Friends, what I have found in my life and in meeting with Christians for so many years is that many Christians, if I ask them, are your sins forgiven by faith in Jesus, they say yes, but they're struggling with regret over some failure in their life. And so I ask them, do you believe that the blood of Jesus covers that sin? Personal, real. I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. There may be some of you sitting here this morning who have lived with regret for many, many years over failure, over something you did or failed to do. There may be some of you here today who, like the pig, have never cried out to God for the forgiveness of sin. So this morning, we want to look at what it means when we say, I believe, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Of sin. So if you have your bulletins with you this morning, I am going to go through this rather quickly because there really is a lot to say here. And I want us to look at this together because it's a really profound understanding when we say this statement I believe in the forgiveness of sin. I am saying, I believe that Jesus is sufficient, that his death is sufficient. That his blood covers all of my sin in such a way that it restores, it restores what God intended for me and for you. So let's look at this together. Here's the first thing I want you to see, and that is simply this, that the deepest need that we have as people is based on our deepest problem. And that problem is the problem of sin. Now that word gets thrown out a lot, and if you grew up in a church, you've heard that word a thousand times, and the temptation is to tune out. Do not tune out. Whether for you or for somebody else, you need to understand what we're saying this morning. If you're unfamiliar with that word sin, it simply means rebelling against God. Well, what what does that look like? Rebelling against God says, God, I don't trust you, so I'm not gonna live according to your word. I'm going to live my way in life. I'm going to live in a way that makes sense to me, not in the way that you have created me to live. And so what we do is we say, God, you know what? Most of your commands i pretty comfortable with. They kind of fit my life. But these over here, no, 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 no. The world has changed. We don't live like that anymore. And so we kind of toss those aside. Friends, I want to say to you this morning that that has terrible consequences in our life. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, I mean John 8. In this passage, it's a powerful passage, Jesus says this in verse 34. He says, very truly. Now, in some translations, it will say, truly, truly. Whenever you read those words, very truly, or truly, truly, Jesus is about to say something that is, uh, that is very significant for us to pay attention to. It's another way, we would say this, now listen, you gotta hear what I'm about to say. That's what we would say today. So Jesus says, very truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a what to sin? What does it say? A slave to sin, everyone who sins. Now, that word sins, in the, it's, um, in the language of the day, means ongoing life of sin. Now, we all sin, all of us. All of us, as we'll see in just a moment. We all sin. But this is an ongoing life of sin that has no, it's the pig that doesn't cry out to God for help. And like the pig who continued to sink in that bog, the more that we live in that sin without crying out to God, the more we become a slave to that sin. Have you ever noticed in your life that you give in to a temptation, and the next time you come to that temptation, it's even easier to give in to it? And that happens, Oh, and the more you give in, it's like a wall that has been knocked down, and you become a slave to that addiction. You come, become a slave to whatever that sin is. What, you're, you're like the pig who is just sinking in the bog. Friends, what we need to do is to cry out to God, and what we need to understand is that the longer it is before we cry out to God, the deeper we become enslaved in our sin, not only in the particular sin, but also in the consequences of that sin, which I'm going to address in just a moment. Here's what I want you to see. Number one, all of us have sinned. Every one of us Every one of us except Jesus, every person who has ever lived except Jesus has sinned. Paul writes about it this way He says, There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, Gentiles and non Jew, for all have sinned, all of us, and fallen short of the glory of God. So we are all in that bog. We are all sinking in that bog, all of humanity. We are sinking in that bog. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to the addiction. We are slaves to the consequence that it brings upon our life and the lives of those around us. David, King David in the Psalms describes it this way He says that sin is imputed to us at the moment that we are conceived. It's our broken human nature that began at the time that Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Their sin has been imputed from generation to generation to generation. It's just the reality. I was with my one-year-old uh, grandson turned one he actually turns one tomorrow, but the party was yesterday up in Sacramento, and I, I noticed that he, this precious little baby, he has a sinful nature. He didn't listen. He wasn't doing everything he was supposed to be doing. You see, friends, it's true for all of us, and God has has revealed that to us, so we're all in that bog. Second thing I want you to see is sin creates consequences. Brokenness in me and in you. Brokenness in our relationship with God and brokenness in our relationship with each other. We see that immediately after the man and the woman eat the forbidden fruit. The first thing they do is they cover themselves to hide from God. They're hiding from God. They run and hide. God, they could hear the Lord God in the garden and he calls out to them. And instead of running to God, they're running away from God because of the consequence of their disobedience, the consequence of their sin. And that's true for you and me as well. Our broken, sinful nature is such that we don't want to be in the presence of a holy God. So we run from God We run away from him. And then the second consequence we see is that the man and woman hide themselves from each other. They cover themselves. Where there had been openness in the relationship, now there is hiding and there is brokenness. And we see that today. We see it in homes. We see it in communities. We see it in nations. We see it in churches. We see it in the world. Broken human relationships. And the third area that sin brings is the man and the woman are confronted by God. He says, what have you done? And what does Adam do? Instead of taking responsibility, he points to the woman. And ladies, you know that we haven't stopped pointing ever since. He points to the woman. He can't take responsibility. He can't take any responsibility He excuses himself. He justifies himself. It was her. And what does the woman do? She points to the serpent. It was him. Friends, that brokenness is, God tells us in Revelation 3, explains why the world is the way it is. And so, we're going to see in a moment that God would not leave us there. But he begins to restore all of that through the forgiveness of sin, as we cry out to him. Here's the reality. We cannot deal with sin on our own. See, the pig thought, I can get out of this. And the more that he worked and tried to get out of it, the more he became enslaved to his predicament. Well, how do we try to get out of trouble? How do we try to get out of this? Well, Romans, uh, in Romans, we see that. Here, it's, it's Romans lays out this beautifully. We try to deal with it, first of all, by pleading ignorance. I didn't have enough information. I just didn't know. I just didn't understand. And the Apostle Paul deals with this in Romans 1, 18 to 20. Listen to what he says. The wrath of God. Why is, why is there wrath? The wrath of God is for our sin. God hates sin. The wrath of God is to bring judgment upon our sin, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may, Now listen to this. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Wait a minute. I'm ignorant. No, you're not. Paul says it's plain to us because God has made it plain to us. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without what? Excuse. We cannot plead ignorance. Because God has revealed who he is through all that he has created. And all that he is, is revealed to us. And then the second area that we try to come up with to excuse, and I love this one, this is me. Well, I'm relatively better than most people. Right? I mean, we're good people in here. We're relatively better than people in the world. We think we're relatively better than our neighbor. Well, at least I'm not like that guy, or at least I'm not like her. And so we play this game, I am relatively better, so God has to accept me. God has to to receive me because I'm relatively better than the person sitting next to me. Oh, who are you sitting next to right now? I'm relatively better than they are, so God has to accept me. Listen to what he says in Romans 2, 1 to 3. He says, you therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. I'm better than them. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment is against those who do such things and is based on truth. So when you, a mere human, a more human, mere human being, pass judgment on them and do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment, friends? It's not about being relatively better; it's about being perfect. It's about being holy. It's about being pure. It's about, as David says, being white as snow. So here's the next thing that we do. And it's the failure of heredity. And we read this in Romans 2, 20, uh, 28. A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly. So the people believed, well, God, you have to accept me because of my heritage. I'm Jewish. Being a, a Jew saves me. God says, no, there's no salvation in being an outwardly being Jewish He says what matters is not what's on the outside but on the inside. So it doesn't matter that you grew up in a Christian home. It doesn't matter that you went to Christian schools. It doesn't matter that that you um, have parents or are married to somebody who's a believer. Every Christian will be held accountable themselves before God. It's not about your parents. It's not about your grandparent. It's about you and the decisions you make about Jesus. And then we read this. It is the failure of externals. It's looking to externals. Now, what do I mean by that? I go to church every week, almost every week. I serve. I do lots of good things, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I made profession of faith, went to the new member's class. I was baptized. I did all these good things that Christians are supposed to do. But Listen to what God says about that. He says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. No is circumcision merely outward and physical. So the Jews were saying, but I've been circumcised. God says, it doesn't matter. That's outward. What's happening inside? No, a person is a, Jew, uh, is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit, not by written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but it's from God. So what, what Paul is saying in, in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 is simply this. We are without excuse. We cannot be that pig. That we cannot get ourselves out of that bog called sin. We are a slave to it. We cannot free ourselves. There's nothing you can do, no excuse you can make, no justification that you could come up with that can deal with the problem of sin. So what does it mean? It means that we need to take the path of the sheep. The sheep who cries out to God. The sheep who understands his need and looks to God for help. And in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us an incredible picture of what it is that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So that all who believe in Jesus may be forgiven. Listen to what it says. The righteousness. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness simply means this. Big word simply means this. I'm right with God. That's all it means. Now, if I'm right with God, it means that God has dealt with the problem of my sin. I haven't dealt with it. God has dealt with it. I can't earn salvation. God gives it to me as a gift when when he allows me to open up my heart to him in faith. Listen to what it says. This righteousness, this forgiveness of sin, this eternal life, this all the wonderful things we're going to see in the next few weeks is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. One day, I was sinking in that bog, and I cried out to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I have rebelled against you. Jesus, I have been running from you. And God, I don't want to run anymore. Forgive my sin. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In that moment, God gave me his spirit and he forgave all of my sin. But based on what? I was in the bog. I was sinking in the mud. I couldn't do anything. So how in the world is it that God could forgive my sin? I was guilty. I was sinful. I had no excuse. I could not justify anything. So Paul explains it in chapter Romans 3. He says this, he says, that he Jesus atoned for my sin it's the word atonement now don't get lost in these words cuz you already know what they mean it's really simple atonement was language of the religious community of the day all it means is that Jesus sacrificed for me that's what it means in the old testament in the old testament god said to deal with your sins, I want you to bring an unblemished animal. It couldn't be like, you know, that chicken that you had that was missing a leg. It couldn't be like the, the, a calf that you had that was blind. It had to be uh, without blemish because you had to give to God that which was perfect. Because you were not perfect. And so the sin, the animal died for you. So they would offer these animals year after year after year. Can you imagine? And the blood then atoned for the sins of the people. But they had to keep doing it over and over and over again. Jesus went to the cross as the perfect Lamb of God. What do I mean, perfect Lamb of God? He was without sin, he was perfect in every way, he was perfect perfect without sin, he became the unblemished lamb of God, but he was a man, a human being like you and me, fully God, but fully human. So he could take my place on the cross. He could die for me. Do you see that? It's not that hard to understand, is it? That's one image that God gives to us about what Jesus has done for us, but it's not just that. He gives us another picture. This is a picture that came from the marketplace at the time of the Apostle Paul. Now, at this time, two-thirds of the people who lived there under Roman rule, two-thirds of the people were slaves. (coughs) They were slaves. They were living under the control of someone else. And so, in the marketplace, what you would often see were slaves that were being sold. And so what would happen is, if you knew, let's say that you had a brother that was a slave and you wanted to set him free, you would raise up money and you would pay that money so that the slave could be free. It was, you would redeem them. So if I'm going to buy, let's say I want to buy this at a store. I give them money and they give me this. I'm redeeming it, right? And so this is what God has done for us In Jesus, He has redeemed us. He has purchased us. What was the price? It was His life. He died so that we might be forgiven of our sin, so that we may be no longer a slave to sin, but we may now be a child of God. Isn't that amazing? This is why we talk about this a lot. It's extraordinary. He says this, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. Jesus paid for me, and the price for me was his life on a cross. We go on, there's another image he gives to us, and that is justification. This is a word that comes from the courts at the day, the legal system of the day. He says this, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I was in the bog. I cried out to Jesus. I put my faith in him. And God justified me. What does that mean? It means that God chose to forgive me. He's the judge that sits in the judgment, sh- judgment seat. And God looks at me and he says, on the basis, the life of my son, you are forgiven. Now, why do I spend time talking about this? Because this is the power of forgiveness, friends. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. I am forgiven, not on the basis of anything that I have done in this world. I cannot be good enough. I cannot be smart enough. I cannot serve enough. None of that, none of that matters. I can't be religious enough. None of that matters. All that matters is this. God has determined that by faith in his Son, I am forgiven. See, I don't, when I make a mistake, I don't have to make up for it. Jesus already paid the price. When I screw up in life, I don't have to, and I do all the time, I don't have to make up for it. I confess it because it cleanses me, but God has forgiven me, all of it, in Christ Christ. My salvation is not based on me, it's based on Him. That's why I don't worry about losing it. If it was based on me, I would be worried every night, every day. But it's not based on me, it's based on what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. That is the power of the gospel. So we read on, and I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. Are you living as one who is truly free, or are you still living as a slave to the consequences of sin? I read a Wall Street Journal article this week that really shocked me. It said, according to the Wall Street Journal, regret is the second most common human emotion that we experience. You know, I, I, that, that really, I had to think about that one for a while. It's not joy. It's not happiness. It's not fear. The second most common human emotion is regret. And often, friends, regret is rooted in our failures in life. Not always. Sometimes we do the right thing, we pay a price, and we regret it because it's painful, but it is what it is. But often it's rooted in the failures we've had in life. Listen to what they descri- how they describe it. Regret feels awful. It's the stomach-churning sensation that the present would be better and the future brighter if only I hadn't chosen so poorly, decided so strongly, or acted so stupidly in the past. Regret hurts. And then a Christian author said this. Although regret is universal, all of us have it, and painful. As Christians, our regret is instructive helping us make better choices for the future. Why? Because we're not locked in our pain, but we are free to still love God, free to love others, free to love ourselves in a healthy way, all made possible through the power of forgiveness. You see, here's what happened. The moment I believed, God forgave all my sin, all of it. He says in Romans 8, 1, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am not condemned. I'm a slave to sin no longer. I am a child of the living God who loves me. I no longer have to run from God because I'm forgiven. In the eyes of God, he sees me through the blood of Jesus, and I am holy, and he embraces me and he holds me. And I'm not afraid, as it says in Hebrews 10, I don't run from God anymore because of the sacrifice that he made. I can live in human relationships. I can love. I don't have to put walls up anymore to keep people at a distance because God has forgiven me, and he loves me the way that I am and still working in my life, but I don't have to run anymore from people. I can let them in. Maybe in your marriage even, there's a wall in your marriage. It doesn't need to be there anymore. As we experience forgiveness in Christ, we don't need to hide anymore. And I can take responsibility for my sin. I don't need to excuse my sin anymore. Why do I need to excuse it? Jesus forgave it by the sacrifice that he made. Friends, I am free. I am not a slave to sin, and neither are you by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, stop living as as one who is a slave to sin. Live as one who is free. In the power of this statement, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe that I am completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. I am not condemned. I am forgiven. I'm going to close with this incredible story that I think really summarizes what i what we're talking about this morning and puts it in something that we can all relate to not relate to the decisions that these people made but relate to making mistakes in our lives listen listen to what happened here a pastor says early in my ministry i counseled a woman who some 20 years before had been unfaithful to her husband for years that sin haunted her i want you to think is there a sin that haunts you this morning Oh, I regret. Every time I think of this, it makes my stomach churn. I failed. He says, I was the first person she ever told about it. 20 years. After we talked and prayed for a long time, I recommended she tell her husband. That, by the way, isn't always the advice I give. In this case, I knew the woman's husband and knew that her revelation after the initial shock would probably even strengthen their marriage. It wasn't easy for her, but she promised she would tell him. Pastor, she said, though, I trust you enough to do what you ask, but if my marriage falls apart as a result, I want you to know I'm going to blame you. And she wasn't smiling when she said it. He said, that's when I commenced to pray with a high degree of seriousness. Father, I prayed, if I gave her dumb advice, forgive me and clean up my mess. I saw her the next day, and she looked 15 years younger. What happened, I asked. She said this when I told him. He replied that he had known about the incident for 20 years, and was waiting for me to tell him so he, could tell me, so he could tell me how much he loved me. And I thought about that. I thought, how often do we hide, even our sin from, try to hide our sin from God? God knows. And God's just waiting for us to come and say, "I'm sorry." forgive me for this. I come clean. And you know what he does? He just tells you he loves you. He loves you this much. The hands of Jesus on the cross, he loves you this much. It's extraordinary. He loves you more than you do. He loves you more than your your family loves you. He loves you. Then he says this, he forgave, she says, and then she started to laugh, he forgave me 20 years ago, and I've been needlessly carrying all this guilt for all these years. And then the author says, perhaps you're like this woman, you've already been forgiven years ago, but you don't know God's forgiveness. Instead, you've chosen to be haunted by guilt for years. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. I don't believe that as a concept. I believe that for my life. I believe that I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus. He atoned for my sin. He redeemed me by His blood. And God the Father has justified me. He's acquitted me because the price has been paid by my Lord and Savior. Friends, that's extraordinary. Are you the pig? or are you the sheep? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the glory of your word. Lord, I just, man, I've been a Christian for a lot of decades now, and yet even going back to look at this and study these passages incredibly bless my life this week. I thank you for the amazing God that you are, The God who heals and restores and makes new again. The God of second second starts, second beginnings, and third beginnings, and fourth beginnings. And yet in all of it, you don't give up on us, but you continue to work in our lives in such a way that you're restoring and renewing us, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.